Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed, your wildlife photography and outdoor adventure podcast. This week's show's hosts are Michael Morrow and myself, Mark Raycroft. And if you are watching this on YouTube, you can tell right out of the gate that we are in the Alaskan wilderness. We're here photographing moose this morning, and we have met up with somebody that we've met on social media, on Instagram, and have become friends with, Jerry Herod from Anchorage, Alaska. Jerry, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. This is quite a backyard you have up here in Alaska. Yeah, we're pretty blessed to have this. I mean, it's just, you know, a short drive from the house and you can come out and get into the backcountry pretty quick. And there's so much up here. I mean, in, in well, it's a fair hike in. There's effort to it, for sure. And not, not necessarily for the faint of heart because of the fun we had yesterday. Yeah. We, we met up and you, you know, we a few days ago we had the good time of sitting down and sharing a pizza together and I'd asked you what your favorite animal was to photograph and you had mentioned of course dull sheep yeah the doll sheep uh, for me it, you know I've always had this this passion for for getting into the mountains and you know the mountain animals and just where where they're at because it's so hard to get to and the effort that is put out just to get there you know, if you if you do come away with with a good image, it's that's that's the reward right there. Well, it's a reward just getting out there and getting to experience it. We right. talk about that all the time. A lot of it's the effort to get there, right? That makes a cool image. Yeah. It may not be something that the masses like, but it's something that you have a strong yeah. attachment to, right? Whether whether it's something I think a lot of people will like or not, if I if I personally like it myself, then that's that's worth it for me just to get out and get it get that the combination of the exercise and then the the reward the memory of the experience when yeah. it does work out and why i kind of brought that up was yesterday we met up briefly at a trailhead and you were hiking several miles further than us and you were going for sheep and you left out ahead of us or we got sidetracked in another area of this this valley before we knew it we saw you up there with the sheep that was impressive Oh, yeah, up on the mountaintop there. No time yeah. at all. Yeah, right on. Right on. So what got you into into wildlife and nature photography? When did the spark start? It, kind of a, around the time I was in high school, you know, it, I grew up hunting and fishing and in the outdoors in general. And, uh, you know, my, <coughs> my dad was in the Air Force, and we, we traveled a lot, so we got to see a lot of a lot of different places but once we settled here in Alaska it, it was a place where he always wanted to come and so when he got stationed here it was just kind of like landing in paradise you know <laughs> and then we started doing all the backcountry trips and camping and hunting and and I wanted to to kind of have something more to take away from it than just the experience you know just have good images of of the experience itself and the places and animals or people that you might meet along the way and so I, I took my dad's old camera it was a 35 millimeter Canon AE-1 and a couple of old zoom lenses and just started playing around with it and then uh, I kind of got out of it a little bit mainly because I, I was really looking at trying to make something out of it and towards the end of high school you know there was 
there's a few people that I kind of let, I kind of let them talk me out of it because it was, a, a, you know, photography is a very popular industry and to make it in that is kind of a one in a million thing, it seems like. It, it to Well, to at least make a big business out of it and, and you know, have a steady income. So I kind of, I kind of dropped it a bit and up until about a few years ago, then, uh, I started doing it a little bit more with a friend of mine, Melissa Mead, and started picking up a little more gear and deciding, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm just going to do this. I mean, it's, it's late in life, but so what? It's fun and it's a good time. Well, for picking up a little bit of gear, you got quite the little selection already. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been very fortunate where I, you know, I haven't made a lot of money in photography, but uh, I've, I've got a career that affords me to the blessings to be able to pick up a little bit of gear here and there and build a nice kit. Yeah. So you want to tune into our YouTube channel because we're going to go through his kit and just do it as a video, which would be kind of cool to check yeah. out. Just, I think it'll be a new little segment we'll do where we, when we meet people like yourself that are out there doing it, just say, what's in your pack? Well, there's no doubt, out, you yeah. know, there'll be nuggets that we'll find out in each, each right. and every photographer. So we'll All learn the, stuff. the dirty little secrets. Well, yeah. the good ones too, the shortcuts, the hacks, the tips. And, you know, for somebody who does sheep and mountain hiking so often, so frequently, what you would have, I'm sure we'll all be, you know, there'll be a few things in there that our audience will enjoy and we might not have thought of too. So I think that's great. Yep. And you're not late in life, brother. Yeah. <laughs> so this is, yeah, it's watching you do those sheep and then meeting up yesterday, for sure. The, um, and the hike out, we had fun yesterday. Yeah, but let's save that for the end. It's We're going to keep that as a yeah, secret? Yeah, save that one All right, stay tuned, stay tuned. I just want to know, so being in Alaska, you, we talked about the sheep being one of your keystone species, but you get to photograph everything. You get to photograph everything. Yeah, depending on the time of the year, I mean, you've got, there's so many options available. You know, you've got, uh, I mean, in, in the spring, you know, you've got, if you really want to get after it, you can find places where the bears are coming out of hibernation and not not get on the dens, but you, you have a general idea of where they've denned up in the fall and where they'll come out in the spring. And so you can get some some really nice images with bears in the snow and up in the high hills or mountainside or get a nice panoramic shot with bears. We need to paint a picture, though, because mm -hmm. Jerry is extremely in shape, I'm assuming, after seeing what he did yesterday. No, he's no one in-shape yeah. individual. So climbing in these hills, he calls them, which are really mountains, it's a big deal. So if you're going to try to go up there after sheep or bears or whatever, that's the the base right there. You're you're in shape and you're you're able to do it. But then, yeah, it definitely helps. You know, it, being in shape, it it allows you to, you know, you can carry your gear and cover a lot of ground and not not get tired as quickly. So spending a lot of time out doing this is kind of what what has always kept me in shape. Is not not so much, not really getting into the gym or anything, but just being active, constantly active all the time. Whether um, you know, it's a quick after work hike or coming out for just an evening and I'll run out, you know, two, three miles into the backcountry, which isn't very far in, in a lot of places in a sense. But if you, you know, your, your approach is a mile and a half and then you've got a mile and a half of 
3,000 foot of vertical gain, then that's, <laughs> that kind of changes things a little it bit. It changes a lot of things. <laughs> and then you also, you know, we were talking about this last night because after that hike yesterday, I'm always looking at the number of steps I walk, right? Because I try to stay in shape as best I can too. So we were looking at it. And it tells you the number of steps that you walk, but it doesn't tell you, oh, well, the equivalent to that carrying a 30-pound pack or a 40-pound yeah. pack, you know, if you're burning 1,000 calories, it, you're probably burning more like 1,200 or 1,300 calories when you factor in those kinds of things. So not to derail us, I liked where you were going with that thing before. Seasonally in Alaska, they're stuffed every season. Every so season. So you started out in the spring, and you're talking about... You started out in the spring, and you're talking about bears, but then there's tons of shorebird stuff. Do you get yeah. into that at all? So I've 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 gotten into shorebirds quite a bit, and um, what what really got me into the birds was uh, another another friend of mine. He's a really amazing photographer, and he's got some of the best bird images I've I've ever seen. Is Jamin Hunter, and he he lives here uh, locally as well, and so he kind of got me into the bird bug. To just to kind of fill that gap in between where you've got the seasons where the, you're looking for the big game and they may not necessarily be readily available. So there's always something going on, whether it's big or small. So the shorebirds really kind of kind of fills the gap. And it you get to see some really cool places, you know, where they're at, um, you know, coastal areas of, of Alaska where most people wouldn't, they wouldn't think to go spend any time out there, but what, you know, you end up going for shorebirds in the spring and you see black bears on the beach somewhere, <laughs> you know, so it kind of, right. There's always a little, little nugget in there for, you know, if you've got a little sense of adventure to want to get out and, and find things, it's there. So there's Cordova, I know has a shorebird festival and so does Homer, Homer right? Homer does. And yeah. then there's Potter's Mark. Potter's Marsh, which is just outside of Anchorage, yeah. it's got some pretty cool stuff. So there's a lot of opportunity. So that takes us into spring. So is there anything else in spring that you look at? So also in, in the in the springtime, you know, you've got um, all all the all the animals are, are bearing their young. So yeah, you know, which is one thing you want to be very careful about is getting around any animal where if it's got offspring. Um, because there, there's a potential for something bad to happen. But at, at a distance, you know, at a respectful distance, and then especially using a super telephoto lens, you know, there, there there's opportunities to get, you know, moose, bears. Um. What about caribou? Do you get out of, out of Anchorage? Caribou's a little tougher, right? Because you got to go pretty far. But Caribou's I'm harder. Yeah, you've got you've got to go quite a ways. And, you know, it seems like the better opportunities for caribou locally, um, probably Denali, up around there, interior Alaska. There's a few places in, in the local mountains down south, um, a couple hours drive, where you could get to caribou, but it would it would take some work to get in there because they're, they're... It's a commitment. It's a commitment. Yeah, it would be, it would be an overnight at least. Yeah. And then, of course, you also have... Uh, any of the little ducklings and goslings and all the little shorebirds that do nest around here, because a lot of them are traveling further north. They're just to have these festivals because they show up at a certain two-week period and they're still on their way to go wherever they're yeah. going. So take us into summer. What's your favorite things in summer to shoot in Alaska? 
So <coughs> getting into summer, you know, you've got the bull moose. They're um, starting to sprout their antlers and, you know, everything starts to green up. So you get these, these amazing green landscapes and there's still some snow in the mountains in certain areas. So you've got the combination of the the greenery and then the snow-capped peaks and, you know, you could get a, a nice bull and velvet in the valley and get a nice background. Right, right. And then black bears and grizz, probably. Yeah, I mean, but that's that's not like a given thing. The moose, you can kind of say, uh, you know, up in that valley, chances are probably pretty good that there's a moose that lives there. Or that valley hiking up, but for sure. bears, bears are that way, too. I think you can kind of count on a certain area, but bears are very keyed in on their what they're going to be eating. So if it's summertime, there's no berries out yet. Yeah. The fish runs are good for certain grizz in those areas or brown bears. Um, but it, I I know there's a lot of black bears around Anchorage, but you can't really say, oh, today I'm going to go do a black bear because it's hard to find them, right? It it can be, yeah. There, there are some people that they, they dedicate a lot of time to... Uh, to just driving around and looking for bears and they kind of get a little bit of a pattern to where they go out two or three times and they'll get a shot of a bear but that that's taken a lot of time and effort to just just for that specifically and you really wouldn't be doing anything else um you know and then the summer around town and up in anywhere the the alpine areas you know they don't have the berries they don't have the fish so they're just kind of scavenging around or um they hunt after moose calves in the spring and and, into the summer digging up uh roots um marmots ground squirrels and even grass and just the vegetation yeah they can survive on all that stuff the low sedge grass has got uh it's got a high for what it is it's got a very high protein content and so they they get a lot of nutrition from that too yep all right so that's so, but I'm sure summertime is a good time to do sheep, right? You're probably going to do sheep. Anytime you can do yeah. sheep, you're going to go do sheep, right? So yeah, anytime. Anytime. If there's if there's a spot where there's sheep hanging around, I'll try to get them dialed in and patterned. And When do they finish their molt, molt their, their coat, so that they look slick again? When so about, uh, about this time of year, you know, mid-July, and uh, some places it... Well, with like goats, they may carry into almost August, and uh, but usually around late June, and then early to mid July, they've all shed their winter coat, and they they almost look naked. It's just like a naked white it's so sheep. So short. On, yeah, uh-huh. it's extremely short hair. And the rams would they molt before the ewes? It's all about the same time. Yeah. Very good. Do you want to continue on with the seasonality? Or? Asleep. Right. Yeah. yeah, so let's this, go into... This is pretty comfortable, but you have to keep shifting on Yeah, it. you have to shift around. So let's take it into fall, which is... So much yeah, going on right. in the fall. Yeah. fall is Where do like, you start? There's not enough... Fall's not long enough. It's not long enough. There's, there's not enough hours in the day. You know, you start to get shorter days. Um, but w- one advantage of fall, though, is you do you do start to get the true sunrise and, and sunset much different than summer where the sun might get low on the horizon, but you might not always get that beautiful burning sunset and right. uh, fall is really nice for that. And then you get the fall colors. Everything starts to change. The leaves turn yellow, orange, red, and then the, the tundra on the hillside just 
you know, turns these vivid, bright fuchsia and purple, red, pink. So you get these you get these amazing landscape and background shots with any any of the wildlife that that you find. And then of course all that wildlife is prime. It's prime. You know, they just look. They got their winter coats for condition coming on. They're kind of ready. Well, at least the moose and the sheep. Well, the sheep are a little bit later, but caribou. moose and caribou are very ready at that time. Yeah. Now, some people th- don't believe the colors on the tundra. You know, it's just surreal, the kaleidoscope, how, how vibrant it can be. And truly, for a couple of weeks, it is that. Just unbelievable. Yeah, so, some people would think that it was almost, uh, you know, that you, you tweak those colors out in, in Lightroom or Photoshop. <laughs> but, you know, if, if you actually got to see it and see the colors, it, it's in it's right really light, that, that bright and vivid. Right, right, it is. And in the right light, it's amazing. So that, I guess we're back onto the same species then. And then in the winter, it would probably be the same thing. Well, I don't know. You probably don't do too much. What about sheep Sh- in winter? I'm short sure days, though, right? Short days. That would be yeah, the compromise. The days, the days get, they get so short that you're, you're extremely limited on, on where you can go unless you, you're dedicated. Unless you're dedicated enough to want to wanna go in winter camp, you know, you can, you can really take advantage of of the daylight then but it's still it's very hard because it's you know eventually it'll get to a point where it really won't be light until 10 30 11 o'clock and then by the time 2 30 rolls around the sun's already going down and do you find in winter most days are overcast is it hard to find a high pressure day for more vibrant not uh, i mean not not necessarily okay it just kind of it it just depending on the weather, but you get a lot of clear days and you get a lot of, that's lot of cloudy days too. So that's pretty good for the seasonality. I had another question. I don't want to. No, monopolize. I was not at all. No, this is good. I'm taking in the view. I love it here. We can talk and sit here all day long. So living in Alaska, you get just in Anchorage, you can access so much. And I'm sure you've had a chance to go to some remote areas too, whether you fly in or drive, you know, drive to Fairbanks or do whatever. If, if you could, what was that one place where you're like, I really want it. You haven't been yet, but it's on your list. It's that one thing that you want to go do in Alaska that, you know, as a local that you have studied, you know, it's possible. It just takes the time and the money and the effort. And I think for me, it would be the, the muskox, uh, you know, I've I've had an opportunity to work in, in some remote locations and out in the bush and above the Arctic Circle. And you know, you get places where you, you see muskox and, and they're there and you kind of get them patterned out and you know that you can do it. It just takes the time to to, you know, take a week and either go fly out or you know, hike out somewhere and just spend that time to right to get those images uh it's it's depending on the season you know like if you're looking at fall in the arctic it, your window is so short it's it's about you know you could have about two weeks of where the that that not well bloom i guess for lack of a better word when everything is bright and it just the colors are popping and blows up and you know you've got those amazing fall colors you know there's there's 10 or 14 days where it's really prime 
and and you know if you could plant it around that and and get those muskox out there i think you could get some really amazing stuff i'm with you on that i would love to do that that's, that's, that's one of those bucket list things for me for yeah. sure we've talked about possibly even doing it this fall but we need to do a little more research to get it right i think if you if you are. miss that window then you know wait till the snow hits and then right and then go out Right. And, you know, a lot of people think about Alaska and the snow and you think, well, that's just miserable. But it's not that miserable, right? I mean, if you're prepared for it, I mean, you could get out there. Sure, you can get weathered in as far as flying to a place or not being able to get in and out that way. But once you're there, it's not too bad, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you've, if you've got the gear and you're ready for it, you know, you've got war. depending on the season, you know, you've got gear to stay dry you've got gear to stay warm somewhere where you can have a fire right uh, you could you could survive a lot just with the right equipment and right. the right knowledge for the backcountry so on a different subject your career currently is a police officer yeah and before that just to touch on was forestry was that right i was a fishing guide before oh, fishing that guide, right yeah. So kind of kind of right out of high school, I, uh, I you know I did the average high school odd jobs, coffee shops, or you know things like that, and uh, I kind of capitalized on on my knowledge of uh, you know growing up fishing and hunting with my dad and right. spending time in the backcountry here. So I I got into being a fishing guide and had my own business for for quite a while, but it wasn't really it it didn't really have the the personal satisfaction that that I was looking for in in something and so I you know I had a lot of friends that were worked in law enforcement and they kind of steered me into that career field and so I started looking into it and decided it would be something that was worth you know at least trying for a couple of years and once I really got started into it 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 uh it, it it's for me it's just very personally rewarding because you you're not going to you're never going to be able to help everybody or or save the world essentially but you know your own little corner of the world you could at least make it a little bit better for yourself and for the community so that's 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 what I get out of it that's excellent well and the thing that you said yesterday or the day before is your schedule is pretty sweet and the schedule is is very nice yeah gives you the time to to do that and do it well but then you get a, what was it one week on one week off yeah right now it's one week on one week off so i work a week and i've got seven days to go adventure and so that's perfect to develop your f- photography career because it gives you you need time it's really hard to juggle yeah you know if you have a real job that's eight to five and you have to go oh i'm gonna go shoot till eight and then i gotta go to work mm-hmm. then i'm gonna get off work and summers in alaska you could do that but you're gonna yeah not get much sleep you're going to sacrifice your your sleep and your you know probably some of your health too just burning the candle at both ends constantly and right feeling right. i'm feeling it yeah yeah i'm i'm feel days that are dropping off the end of my life right now <laughs> the counter's winding backwards right right so part of the reason why i brought up was the police work is how do i say this the photography, I, you must see a lot of stuff in helping the community that it's, there'll be stressful moments and stuff. And I'm, I'm thinking that you're hiking in wilderness, you're, you're camping, 
in wilderness and your nature and wildlife photography help balance that it's it, a break it's a it really does it's uh you know it, it you you think of like kind of you're you're winding up a spring and all that stress and tension and you know towards the end of your work week you just feel like you're just gonna you know you'll you'll go crazy if you gotta go deal with one more you know one more thing that is extremely stressful you can keep going or you know some crisis and uh you know once once i get out somewhere like this then that all just it all just fades away and then the spring is unwound and you can just go relax and right do your own thing for a while it's a great balance you know to have the the physical exercise that you do and then the creative outlet to yeah, i get it it's cool I mean, it's the same. I mean, it's not. I'll stop right there. Correct myself. It's not the same. I'm not, you know, I don't have the level of stress or interaction that, that you do. But just for me, from the marketing world and, and editing world to get out, it's a total de-stressor. And well, I, I can see that's got to be really stressful, too, because you've got deadlines and well, yeah, probably it's deadlines not, it's and not, contracts. It's not like there are criminals that, yeah. that I'm, I'm having to protect other innocent people from their activities and drugs and all kinds of situations, you know, that you would be faced with. So certainly appreciate what you do that way and, and see how this and what we all do. And we get this from it, each and every one of us, you know, as far as just being in wilderness and what, and what it means. And for those that share this passion, everybody listening understands it, but so much of, of society doesn't, you know, to go on a canoe trip, on a hiking trip, a wildlife photography trip, Anywhere into the outdoors is a de-stressor. Just the, the fresh air, the sense, the exercise, the natural smells is what I mean by sense and stuff. That it's just real, and we don't we don't feel that in our rush lifestyles nowadays. So it's important to have that. So I think it's a great schedule that you're able to have a week on week off. That is logical to me for law enforcement. It's it's definitely nice, you know. And if I took if I took some vacation time and took a week off, I'd be off for three weeks and right that too you know where where else could you take a week off of work and be off for almost a month and just right. go play i can think of two other firemen mm-hmm. are very similar and then pilots that's right yeah. those are the two careers which there's a lot of in in alaska you get people that have those types of careers because yeah if you fall being so awesome and being so short if you timed it just right you'd get three weeks of just non-stop oh you could get take vacation and just hit the prime of the fall and right right get everything you ever wanted to get and just spend all winter working on uh you know photo editing and right yeah when it's dark outside you can just be cranking away listening to the wild and exposed podcast <laughs> and working on lightroom yeah yeah so we'll put this in our show notes of course but your instagram I mean, you have great imagery up there and the sheep stuff pops right out to me of course you tell the audience how to find you on Instagram because it's not just your name. It, yeah, I, I the, like your handle. It's not just uh, the. I, well, I think that if you if you search my name because my it, my name is on the the profile, so yes. if, you, if you search Jerry Herod, you could find it. Uh, but it's a a k scenic. Right on. Is the uh, is the the handle on the profile? That's a good one to get. And I am snacking. I love blueberries. I've, I've declared that on more than one occasion, but I'm snacking on a blueberry almond packaroon by Heather's Choice. And on Instagram, it even highlights that you're an ambassador for Heather's Choice. Can you tell us, this is delicious and lightweight, and why would you pack 
these for what you do for your hikes and your affiliation with so <coughs> packing those there it, it's it's what you get out of such a small little treat i guess um you know the, the packaroons i mean they they've got a lot of a lot of high calories high fat um it's kind of what you need for if you're going to be going out and doing a long approach and then and then a long climb um you know bad weather that you know it's got everything you need to kind of keep that energy up and keep you going and it's not full of a lot of fillers like what you might see in a lot of other food i mean not not to knock any any food brand or product but it's you know, a lot of natural ingredients, um, whole food, you know, like shredded coconut, dried blueberries in, in this one, maple syrup. Um, you can actually you know, read almond, the ingredients. Almond flour. Yeah, it's, who doesn't yeah. love maple syrup? <laughs> so these two pack are 170 calories, but you're right. I mean, it's all natural ingredients made exclusively in for Heather's Choice in Anchorage, Alaska. They're an up-and-comer, man. I, I've been hearing about them for two or three years, and I just... I knew she, the woman that started it was based in Anchorage, and then having seeing you with this stuff, I'm gonna have to give it a go. Well, I'm not sharing this pack of rune. It's not very big. No, no, so no. You're you can have, have that. Yeah, I right. mean, just for future, because you know that was one thing I noticed yesterday with you, and you had said something because we'd stopped where we met up with you, and you were eating some stuff, and then that's when we saw the Heather's Choice. But then you went on to say, you know, I don't know what you claimed yesterday thousand at least a thousand vertical feet oh yeah. more than that and yeah. then we did six miles and so you probably did eight to ten miles total yeah probably probably around nine or ten yeah around thereabouts. and you said something about you were feeling up on the way up you were feeling up on the way down you were feeling up on the flat and it's just important to have that because i think it does make it i don't think people mice i'm guilty of that mm -hmm. i just get focused it's like i need to get out there and get my images and and you don't take time and then you start wearing out and i think you can perform much better whether you're hiking or even you really shooting. can yeah it's you know if you start to get tired you know you get you get focused onto something and if you forget to eat then you you'll you'll start lagging in your physical performance and that affects everything from being able to get to the animal to begin with to being able to concentrate and focus once you know once you get there and it factors in for alaska type photography not to say that you can't, you know, you go to a refuge in the lower 48, and a lot of times you can just drive around in your car and pop images out the window, and that's great. Mm -hmm. You know, you can get some really cool stuff, but then it's pretty easy to be out of shape and pretty easy not to have to worry about those nutritional requirements. But I find everything that I go after in Alaska, it, it requires a little bit of work, whether you're riding a bike or whether you're hiking or whether you're, you know, even if you're going on a canoe trip or a, a raft trip, and there's a lot of physical work that oh, you're yeah. going to do to put out and so it's it's important to pay attention to that kind of stuff and s especially the mountain stuff yeah safety right you, you need to keep your coordination and your wits about you and becoming you know for me if if i don't eat for five or six hours i can become lightheaded or if i'm not hydrated just hiking too much you to be no i don't get hangry you don't get hangry. i don't, don't get hangry that's good no no i spent too much time with you i'm glad you don't get hangry you don't you turn would, into a you uh, would know a, by now a if diva I get, when you get hangry no. i get turned into which tinder turn into a diva no 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 thankfully i just have to yeah actually it's fine but i just need to keep my coordination about me and, and so it's being smart about what snacks you pack in your kit 
for those mountain yeah. hikes. You know, it's not just high sugar. I mean, these these would carry you further. So, what about hydration? How do you deal with that on your mountain hikes? So it, it's kind of dependent on how far I'm going to go. Like like yesterday, if it's just a you know a day trip or an afternoon, I'll I'll carry a couple of liters of water with me. But if it was uh, if it was more of a of a distance, you know, and it, if I was going to go overnight or seven to ten days somewhere, then I would I would probably start off with a couple of liters of water and just pick up my water on the way. I'd take a filter and I'd just carry as as light as I can with water. And normally, you know, here there's there's a water source readily available w- at least within a couple of miles in any direction. So you could find a a spring or a little seep in the mountainside or you know, like in most valleys, we'll have creeks or river running through. So, so do you carry like a life straw or a what's that other thing? What's that thing that you put in water and and um, stir it around? The steri uh, steri pen. Yeah, yeah. Do you so use I, something like that? I don't really use that just because it's battery dependent. Right. Um, most of the time, I'll I'll just take a a little Sawyer Sawyer Mini. Yep. Because they're they're so light and they're, you know, I, I don't want to say that they're they're disposable. Um, you you know, you could use one all season, and then at the end of the season, you just throw it in the recycler, and you know, because it's all it's all recyclable material, I think. Right, right. And what do you mean by that? Is it's a water filter? Yeah. And that you know, Catadine makes them, MSR makes them. Sawyer is another brand, right? Yeah, I don't know and it's the the one. Sawyer. The what I like about the mini is it only it only weighs like two ounces, and so you you would have like a uh, two water bladders, and one would be your your gray water for your filter, and then so you'd fill that up and then screw your filter onto the end of the bladder, and then squeeze that into the, your your fresh water. So it's it's a it's a handy little system, and it, it's. Sometimes it can be hard because you you can't always get enough to fill that bladder. Like it's it's hard to fill if you just found standing water. It's real hard to fill those bladders. You might want to have a Nalgene or something to kind of transfer it. Transfer it. Yeah, that's a good tip. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. If you're in Alaska, you just need to pay attention to all that stuff because it'd be real easy to get hydrated and it'd be real easy to drink right out of a river, or a creek, or a stream, or a whatever you yeah. think might be a I spring mean, and but it's really easy to get giardia it is and I, i'm guilty of drinking just straight unfiltered water um especially in, in sheep country you know if you get somewhere where there's runoff or glacier um i mean so, some people filter their water period no matter what um but i i mean i've been to places where i figured well it's I doubt there's any beavers on a glacier 6,000 feet up a mountain. Right, so right, So it's right. probably fairly safe. Yeah, I would say, I would I would lean in that direction too. I've not done it. I'm, a, I'm kind of that filter every time guy, but. Well, they're just so easy and portable now to carry with you. So why but not just to be sure. You know, I just have a little bottle of water and that's right. about it. But we, we're not that far. I mean, six miles is not that big of a deal. So are we going to do Jerry's kit just for YouTube then, instead of on here. I mean, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, because so it's wanna... so visual. I think sure. we want to see that kind of stuff. So make sure you tune in for that, and we'll we'll shoot that as soon as we're done with this. But yeah. I think we'll see. We're at 
Yeah, we're almost at 45 minutes. So let's we take have... the last 15 and let's talk about yesterday. Right, that's what I was gearing up for. The cliffhanger. Right. The cliffhanger, yeah. It wasn't that big of a cliffhanger. I mean, it was. It definitely got my hackles up, but it wasn't. I didn't feel threatened. Well, we it was something we definitely had to be focused and pay attention to, and it's a reality in this amazing landscape that can so happen. So let's set the scene. So we're in a place that we've all been quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I've seen bears in here, mm-hmm. but it's always way off at a distance. It's always... On yeah, the far ridge. See them on a ridge or up on up on the high alpine on one of the hillsides. And it's blacks and grizz. Yes. And so who wants to take it from there? Well, you and I were filming a vlog for our YouTube channel, and that was amazing what happened with the moose that came and paid us a visit while we were filming. So check that out as well. But we'd finished that, and Jerry had hiked off the mountain back down to where we were in the valley, and just coincidentally we met up. And we were visiting, and we were going to hike back out together and see what we came across, expecting to see more moose because of late time in the day. And as we were heading out, moose started popping out of bushes left and right, and then this big bull was running away at probably three, 400 yards from us. And I think you, know, you said, Michael, you said, hey, there's a grizzly bear. I yeah. You saw it first. Well, and, and I think just to back up just a second, when you see, you know, we're yeah. in around these moose all the time. Right. right? So you, you recognize different behavior right away and we saw this bull kind of not walking off he was kind of trotting off right and he was wasn't up. he was on a mission he wasn't and he looked back around. he'd run he'd look back but we still hadn't seen anything so we we're all thinking that's odd yeah but then you just kind of say well who knows it could be bugs too right you see caribou all the time go bananas just because the bugs just get to flies yeah. yeah warbles but so then we walked a little bit further, looked over, and I looked down, and I'm like, that that log looks awful like a bear. And then I said, there's a bear, and sure enough, there's a bear. So um, I guess the reason I bring up this setting is, well, I photograph bears all the time up here, but I'm generally in areas where the bears are known behavior. Mm-hmm. They're very used to people, and, you know, it's not uncommon to be 20 20 yards away from a bear in a certain area where they are accustomed to people and not on purpose it just happens well no even on purpose like in lake clark they allow you to be at a certain distance that is and i don't think it's 20 yards i don't know what it is it's it's closer than most places yeah 40 40 or 50 yards with a telephone yeah no problem and if the bears come towards you you can let them walk right by you you know you were saying that too jerry right right? you could be down on a river somewhere, and a bear's going to walk. If they're fishing, they're not looking at you as food. They're looking, you know, they got plenty of sand. Yeah, they're, there's, they've got other things on their mind. You know, they're not uh, they're not really concerned with you being there if they've got salmon in the river, and they're trying to just build that calorie content for the fall. So let's build that out then. So we see this bear, and let's take it from your perspective. Well, you're you're up here all the time. Let me, let me throw something in if you okay. don't mind. And that... This is big wilderness country here, and these bears move a lot. So it's not like a concentration on a salmon stream. Right. And when they move a lot, it could be a bear that came in from 10 miles out in remote wilderness that just doesn't see people. So we have to be a little more cautious because we don't know how exposed they are to humans and how they'll react. So in that situation, and there were some of the variables of of last night too that, that threw a little twist into it. What I was interested in was... Having not had any experience down here with the bear, I immediately was like, okay, so what would you do? Because yeah. I'm like, you're, 
you're the guy that probably spends more time than any of us up here. What, what was your thought process? I mean, it, you know, these bears here, I mean, I, they're, the bears, at least in the Chugach, I mean, they're not, they're not out to get people, but they're, I think these are known to be more aggressive than bears elsewhere. Because uh, there's, you know, every year there's uh, negative bear encounters uh, on the other side of the range, you know, like around the backside of Eagle River. Um, there's, uh, you know, there's maulings that happen fairly consistently on a, on a yearly basis. There's one or two a year in the backcountry here. And there's, I think last year there's a fatality. And so my thought kind of was, you know, give it about a hundred yard space would probably be reasonable. I mean, for any bear that you would encounter in the backcountry anywhere, you know, but I think this bear, uh, for for whatever reason, you know, the direction that we were going, he was kind of just keeping the pace with us a little bit there for a while, and he really didn't care for us at one point. Kind of no. did a little woofing and huffing. And the difficulty was is that grass is so tall down there that you know, as big as these bears are, you still couldn't see the bear a lot of times. So you don't want to make forward progress if you don't know where the bear's at because if he decided to he or she or it decides to hold up or hole up mm-hmm. and take a nap or whatever you definitely yeah. don't want to walk well, and, up and on the it. bears you know bears are like people they're individuals so you know you could get i mean the bear was aware that we it knew we were there it, yeah, saw, it us. saw us and you know it had an idea of where we were but one of the issues was the wind was coming from the bear to us, so he, he couldn't smell us. Right. So I th- I don't know if it kind of felt threatened that we were trying to make our way in that same general direction, even though we were keeping that, that safe distance. Right. It still didn't really like it or care for it didn't much. Didn't understand, I think it yeah, why we were keeping, well, we weren't trying to keep up with it, we were tr- but we'd lose sight and we'd wait for half an hour. Yeah, and lose You assume sight it's and gone and, you know, eventually it did. And, and people at home were probably saying, well, why didn't you just walk around it? You really can't. I mean, we were walking on a trail that is a... We did veer off to yeah, the side. Yeah, we eventually veered off because mm-hmm. that was our only option to be safe for mm-hmm. both the bear and us, but it's not that easy. I mean, you're dealing with boggy stuff. You're dealing with high, high grass, and you well, there was a river. Yeah. We couldn't, you know, unless we were going to wade across the river, right? Well, most of the grass out there, it's it's anywhere from four to six feet tall, you know. So, I mean, it hides a moose, a full-grown bull moose out there, <laughs> right? Right. So it was an interesting situation. It was. It was. Uh, I'm not going to say it was fun to be in, but it was a good encounter, and it mm-hmm. was a good learning experience. It was. Well, we took our time. We took our time. We Lots of time. And it was right near the end of the day, so we were trying to time it out to be back out of the country by dark. But an end of the day, of course, it was like 11.30. Last night, it was still daylight. But definitely, we respected the bear and gave it space. And, but it was it was interesting. And, and one of the things that was to our advantage for safety in the situation, there were four of us. Yeah, Rocky I think that's a group instead of just a single that. person. That's can you important. imagine being out there by yourself in that situation? I mean, I can imagine it, and I'm mm-hmm. just—that's what was going through my mind last night. Is okay, so if I'm here by myself, which I frequently do here, right. here, yeah, what would I have done? You know, I probably would have backed off further than we did as four, mm-hmm. and I'd probably just sat there for a long time and just waited it out. But then still, 
There's no way of knowing. You there's Walking no sight line. There, you gotta have your hackles up. There's no just, sight line. You yeah, know, that's one of those situations where you probably have your bear spray out. The other thing that I was worried about is since the wind was coming from the bear to us, and it wasn't like a breeze, it was a wind. It was a steady wind, yeah. I was a little concerned if you did have to deploy bear spray. Right. That wind was strong enough that it could it just, just throw that bear spray right back on, right back on yeah. us, right? So that's not good. Right. So that's where we pivoted uh, down the one side, tried to parallel the bear right. Right, over maybe 150 or so yards. But and we they, did that, and it, it was harder going. And that's mm -hmm. the other thing, too. If the bear did come down there, it's like you don't you have less options. You wouldn't know necessarily. That's the, just the, the topography and the vegetation. We, you know, we thankfully caught sighting of it here and there right. and, could, and could track its progress. But right. there was no guarantee it didn't do a 90-degree turn at some point and show up in front of us. And that was the benefit of having four and, and several bear sprays and just being on our toes and giving it lots of time and space. And it well, did it move off. We didn't like it was down. I think you said it looked like it was hunting down there. It, it's kind of how it was acting where it was like going around the alder patches and yeah, like looking for a cow around or like a calf. dog, you know, yeah. and you wonder if you were by yourself, would it come after you? Right. You do. I doubt it, but you know, that questions out, you know, it happens. I think what is good about an encounter like that is it definitely just raises your awareness. And, you, you know, you can get in that little safety, like, take it for granted. Ah, do I need bear spray today? I don't want to carry the extra weight, you know. I think you just got to do it. You, you just can't know. not be prepared when you come out here just because it is a real thing. But I don't think people need to be scared of bears. And I don't think it's going to keep me from coming in here at all. Well, you accept it as part of your wilderness experience, and we're, our senses are heightened because of it, but you, you can never take it for granted. And a lot of people are innocent people, and, and bad things happen once in, in the blue moon. But it can happen anywhere to anybody in the city, wherever. We choose to be in wilderness, and it's a matter of educating oneself and being smart in bear country. You have a much better chance of getting a car accident than you do getting yeah. mm -hmm. yeah, attacked get by hit, a bear. Hit by a bus in the city, stepping off the sidewalk. <laughs> right. More of a chance of that than getting mauled by a bear. Agreed. Agreed. So it was a great way to, to wrap up the day as far as the experience yesterday, and then we got back up in some high country as we were hiking out and glassed a bunch of moose that were nice to see, and but I want to. Well, let's do one more thing. I and maybe we did this earlier. I don't which? remember. But um, we came back to the same area this morning, and you looked down in that same valley where that bear was at. Right. Okay. And one of the little things that gave us a sense of, wow, that bear's probably gone, is we saw tons of moose. Mm -hmm. If that bear was still hanging around, I don't think we would have saw as You know, these moose aren't scared of the bears either. Uh, a, well, a mature moose, sure, it can fall prey to a bear, but mm -hmm. chances are it's not going yeah. to. A healthy yeah. moose is always going to probably get away. Right. So, but when we saw this moose, it's like, okay. They'll still get know. out of the bear's way, right? Yeah, they're definitely not going to ask for trouble, but they're not going to be taking, you know, they're they're agile enough to just get out of trouble. But my point is, is we saw these moose down there, so it's like, eh, I'll bet you that bear's not even around anymore. He's right. probably 10 miles up the valley or something. Well, and some of the moose are bedded, some are feeding, there were cows, there were calves, there were other bulls, just the whole atmosphere was calm right that we glassed across so the that gives you a peace of mind too and that's just more about being experienced and being out in the woods and being comfortable with that sort of thing so uh we took a little break a minute ago thought of a few other things to ask jerry about on well, the sheep thing yeah let's finish with his favorite place in the, on planet earth to be at, at this point in time and up with sheep and he can highlight some of his he's got a few 
tips or hacks, hacks strategies that help him up there. And if and you're going to be a sheep photographer, right? Yeah, no, it's it's definitely not for everybody because it it just because of the effort that it takes to get there. It's um, just let me throw this in. It's about me once or twice a year, and that's it. Yeah, because it is so much work to do that. But you probably every day if you had the chance you would be doing if, it if i had the chance yeah i would probably do it every day and i, I you know I, I would even do multiple days yeah these bugs even in the wind you can't get away from <laughs> i just don't want to bite you around the cheek that's, super, that's the fun of podcasting out in the out in the wild right right so and i interrupted you you said you would do it every day i would do it every day if i could uh mainly just because of my love for the mountains but you know part of part of going after sheep or goats or anything that's that's up above tree line you know you've got to have the gear for it you've got to have a little bit of of experience and know-how working your way around the mountains because it's 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 very easy to to start going after something and you get focused on an animal and you're just going 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 and you're climbing and it's getting steep but you can get into places that you can climb up into it but once you're up in there, if you're not paying attention, you'll you'll be stuck. You won't be able to climb out. And I've, you know, early on, I, I've been guilty of that a few times where I s- actually started to get a little worried because here I am, you know, I'm 6,000 feet on top of a mountain and I've just climbed up a little chute, you know, and now am I, am I stuck? Or l- luckily I've been able to, to summit in those circumstances but I, now i just regardless of what's up there if i'm if i'm making a hard climb after something i'm really paying attention to where i'm going and just not getting into those situations it's really easy too when you're shooting right because if you're shooting an animal that you pay less attention to the topography i mean you're paying attention to it because you got to cross it but a lot of times you'll go over something not even really thinking about it you're just shooting and then all of a sudden you're like, hmm, how did I get here? Yeah. And can I go back that way? And I, I guess to put it in perspective, when you're climbing up, I don't know, there's something about climbing up that makes it so much easier. But coming down, that what you just climbed up is can be really difficult, like it you could, said. It could be a little tricky, you know. And there, there's some of those places up there, it's, it's so steep where if you did fall, especially carrying all your gear, I mean, it would be bad enough to take a fall just with nothing but it, with all your gear you know it'd be even worse and you take a tumble up there you wouldn't stop until you probably hit the bottom so i mean it's you know there's been occasions where sheep hunters and and goat hunters have have been out and unfortunately some of them have slipped and fell and and succumbed to their injuries from it um or gotten hurt very badly, so you, you've definitely got to pay attention. It's 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 much different than just like if you're going to go on a a walkabout, and you know if you're if you're looking for moose on on more even ground or just hill country, you know every step you've got to pay attention to because you don't want to step on uh, you know a rock and have it break loose. So you're you're paying attention to every single step and you're looking at your feet as you're going and normally you've got you know I, like i take an ice axe with me everywhere in case i do slip and fall there's a chance that you could dig that in just roll over on it and dig it in and and save yourself from from taking a slide i i took one last year where uh, i went out with a friend of mine on one of his sheep hunts and 
we're off in the back country in the Chugach and walking on it, it had just rained and this really steep slope and we're kind of traversing across it to get back to camp and you know I took a slip and I slid about a hundred feet down this grassy face and I dug the ice axe in and it I don't think I would have gotten hurt there but it it, it definitely saved me from just not stopping and sliding all the way down to the bottom right right yeah I can see that and but that's another thing too you got to be so careful and know how to use that because you talk about rolling over on it and digging and get digging in but you also could just roll on it and hurt yourself too, you could right? yeah it's it's good to to get practice with any any tools you're going to use in the backcountry you wouldn't want to just take it and just go right you know even if you wanted to get some instruction in it you know and and learn how to use it crampons is another thing too is not so much in this time of year but when it gets to be you know october november so the crampons what are those other little things that are like chains they're not necessarily called crampons they're called so you've got uh, yeah so there's there's full-on crampons and you've got the micro spikes which which are really helpful and i I think there's several brands that make those i know catula Mm -hmm. is one that's it's very popular and I've got a set of those, and kind of depending on how harsh the the terrain is, I guess, and how you know how much ice is there, you know, you might take those one day, or you might actually take your full-on crampons and your and your ice axe. And I can see those little uh, spikes working even on, like you said, with a, a wet grassy slope. Yeah, they're just going to give you that much more traction that you just feel a little bit more confident. So, in addition to that, you had also something white what what is we, that all about we looked up the mountain and there was additional sheep up there when we were glassing well and pilly said there's there's jerry and i'm like no jerry wasn't wearing white when he saw him <laughs> and i'm like i i just couldn't i we, it had to be you right because we didn't see anybody else over there and you said yeah. there's not that many people that go up there and pilly was right for sure but what is that white thing that you were using it's a Oh, they just call it a white suit, but it's uh, that that one in particular. I I made that myself uh, on a sewing machine, but it's uh, it's just a white white coverall. You know, it's uh, the top that I've got is kind of like just a hoodie. You just slip it over. It's oversized, and so you're full on pants too. And yeah, full on pants too. Wow, I didn't and, notice that. <clears throat> so the the idea with that is to kind of you know they're what the sheep are used to seeing up on the the slopes is another sheep and which are going to be white or maybe not necessarily full on white white but they'll there'll be some off white or you know some grayish white or white color but to wear the white up there you know if if you if you do get spotted it it, it doesn't always work all the time so but it, it can give you a leg up on on getting an extra couple of minutes or maybe that extra 30 seconds before they really decide hey that's not a sheep i need to get out of here and it could be an advantage that you might have over somebody where they're just up there and you know they're, they don't have any whites and if you get seen then the sheep might decide they'd spook and run away right away but with the white suit some you know there's times where you can get up there and they're it puts them at ease because they'll see that and they'll say, well, it's white, you know, and it, it's not really coming after us. So it might be another sheep over there. And I've actually had occasion to where they, they saw me and got curious and 
started to actually come over just because they thought I was another sheep and so they came up close and I got some really good shots that way. And then I think sheep too in the in the times that and I've I've done a fair amount with sheep. Certain sheep are just like, huh. That's not a sheep, but they're not chasing me. Well and they don't they're have not shooting at they me. don't have white predators. And they're not right. And they get comfortable with you. I yeah. mean there's times where you can spend all day with sheep. Yeah, you even, know, even without places. the even without any any white camera. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it really depends. But so if you can improve your chances by having that and It's a great idea. Yeah, I think it's a pretty cool yeah, idea. And it's be, not very heavy to carry, it's just another layer. Yeah, right? It's just like carrying another layer. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, and we typically wear browns or camouflage, depending on the situation, just colors that blend into the environment, which would look like up on the mountainside it could potentially be a predator approaching them, like a bear and such. So, yeah, the white, that's a great tactic. Yeah. Well good, done. Good hack. Yeah. So, be safe. Have the right tools. For sure. Practice with them. Yeah, get some practice. And uh, Personally, I mean, I've... I like to do it with a buddy too, or a friend, or a right. second person. Right. When the opportunity is there, if it's, if it's long in the backcountry, or and we've talked on this, touched on this in the podcast before, is just to have a, an emergency beacon device as well. That's a great idea. Yeah, if you are solo, here it's so remote. There's most places in Alaska you're not going to have cell phone service. So if if you are inclined to to want to have some kind of a safety net in case something bad happens, to have you know a, a satellite messenger there's people carry satellite phones with them some way of just getting a signal out and getting help if you really need it or just doing a you know daily check-in there's a lot of people that do that and if i go out solo i'll i'll take something sure just so i can reach out and say hey you know i'm on this mountain now and tomorrow i'll be the next ridge over and so if you don't hear from me by then, then give it mm-hmm. 24 hours and send somebody. Send the Calvary. Yeah, it's common sense. Yep. Well, thank you, Jerry, for taking the time today. Thank you for to having me. Be on our podcast. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I would sit and do podcasts here every day. So I hope that our audience has enjoyed going behind the scenes with an Alaskan wildlife photographer who spends the majority of his time hiking through mountain country and some of the insights that's provided. You can find more of our team's content on Instagram, Facebook, on our YouTube channel, and of course at wildandexposed.com. Consult that as well to see some of the images and, and content that we discussed on today's podcast. I'd like to take a moment and thank our talented and hardworking producer, Missy McKenzie, for all that she does behind the scenes to bring this podcast to you on a weekly basis for your listening enjoyment. Until next time... You've been listening to Wild and Exposed Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.